Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Thank you for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the G3 Project. And today I'm excited. We have a very special guest, um, someone that's becoming a friend of mine, Dr. Craig Hazen. Welcome, Dr. Hazen. Lisa, so good to be with you. <laughs> so it's a funny story about how I met uh, Dr. Hazen. Well, we haven't met in person yet, but um, I was on Viola's website and I saw... Uh, that you were the um, the the um, the founder of the apologetics department, the world class um, apologetics department that you have there at Biola, and I was trying to find your email address and I couldn't nail it down for I couldn't find it anywhere. So I found uh, somebody's email address and I looked at the format for Biola's email addresses, and then I tried to I was like I'm gonna try this, and I. I got in touch with you that way and I sent you this long email and you responded in like two hours and (laughs) that's kind of the the crazy story to how I got to uh to get in contact with you (laughs) I didn't I didn't I didn't know that part of the story but I remember getting the email from you and I you know when I find somebody attached to a ministry uh I'll I'll look up their website I did that real quick and what I mean it took me about 12 seconds of looking at your website going, oh my goodness, this is something I've been actually dreaming that would come into existence. So, um, I was very interested from the get-go about what you're doing and what your plans are. And it, it does seem that the Lord is with you and moving and shaking and uh, causing all kinds of kingdom havoc, which is in, in all positive ways. So <laughs> thrilled to be on with you today and to watch what your ministry is going to be doing in the future. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you've been a great help to me um, and, you know, possibly doing some partnerships in the future. So I'm excited about uh, collaborating with you on that. Um, today, we want to talk about um, how does Christianity compare to the other great world religions. But before we get started in that, for those who don't know who you are, um, would you give them a round about yourself? Sure. I've been at Biola University in Southern California uh, for almost 20 years. I can't believe it's been that long. But And, and I started uh, their now fairly famous uh, graduate program in uh, Christian apologetics. Uh, it's a Master of Arts program, and it's, it's probably the biggest of its kind in the world. And I'd like to think it's the highest quality, too. Uh, but I'll let uh, our students and uh, critics tell anybody that but it's a it's a wonderful program so i've been there for 20 years running the program and teaching uh i've done uh i did my doctoral work in religious studies at the university of california in santa barbara and that is uh i mean that's kind of like hostile territory for a jesus loving bible reading christian you have to go into (laughs) a very secular environment to study uh world religions and comparative religions and religious studies uh, that's my background. Um, if I were to say what my specialties are, that's hard to do because I always wanted to major in everything. <laughs> I think that's why I went into religious studies because you can do just about anything under that banner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've I've studied in a rather in-depth 
fashion, uh, Mormonism and Buddhism and uh, religion in America and American religious history and uh, all kinds of things that, that just uh, that I love. I'm 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 passionate about the uh, interaction of religion and science. One of my earlier degrees was in uh, biology, and I used to do some biology research and. Uh, and other things. I mean, literally, if you look at my resume, people go, what in the world? Couldn't you get focused? Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I do love everything. But that's the nature of apologetics. Mm-hmm. Apologetics in the Christian church is an interdisciplinary field. Uh, you really, uh, you, you can make kind of a case for Christ and a case for a, the supernatural and a case for God from many different uh, human endeavors and experiences. I mean, you can, as a field of economics, you can make a wonderful case for God starting with economics mm-hmm. or psychology or sociology. If you plumb the depths and the foundations of those disciplines, I think everything always leads back to um, God, mm-hmm. and not just God, but uh, God who loves people and wants to reconcile them with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you can actually arrive at those important teachings, starting with the various disciplines. So uh, I guess I guess that's, that's my nature. I'm a I'm, uh, multidisciplinary guy who uh, loves to see it all lead back to salvation in Christ and the God who created. It sounds like you're becoming all things to all men. <laughs> uh, I, I, sometimes I wish I could get focused. Some of my <laughs> colleagues, they're so focused, you know. They, they've mastered one area, and then they're at the top of their field, you know, mm-hmm. respected, you know, around the globe, and here I'm, I'm just chasing after the next, uh, the next interesting idea, because it's just fascinating, fascinating. I do love ideas, I love reading widely, and uh, apologetics isn't a bad place for a person like that, because there's so many areas you can work in. Yeah, yeah, um, it, that sounds a little bit like me, I, um, I studied at University of North Florida before I went off to, uh, Liberty to do my MDiv and just being at world in the world religions at a secular university is to me uh, ten times harder than in Christianity at a seminary. Um. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, we we've got to talk at length about our experiences with that because I I found there's two ways to really study apologetics. You can you can go into a great Christian graduate environment, maybe a seminary, maybe a program like ours at Biola, which is just a part of our School of Arts and Sciences, and really dig down with experts in the field who love Jesus and really know their way around apologetics. And that might be the preferred way to do it, but there's another way to do it, and it's, uh, it's the way I ended up doing it, is you sneak into the enemy's camp for a period of time, and you just learn everything that the enemy has to offer. <laughs> and their plans and their ideas. And honestly, that's not a bad education in apologetics because you're really understanding what your opponents have to say, how they justify their ideas and their worldview. And uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a stranger way of, of mastering apologetic knowledge. Uh, but it's very effective, and we need people who've done that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, kudos to you from getting out of a, uh, a secular program in religious studies. Uh, you know, uh, fully intact. Yeah, I don't know if I could have made it way to the PhD like you uh, at a secular university. It's a lot. Oh, it's, uh, uh, it's a lot. It's of an impossibility that. unless the Lord is totally with you. I mean, it's, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure that uh, any. I'm certain that nobody could do it who really loves the Bible, loves Jesus, and all that stuff. And uh, 
and uh, is not actually directed by God to do it, because it really is such a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. It's draining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we're going to dive right in, because obviously you're expert here. Um, <laughs> how does Christianity compare to the other great world religions? And I heard you in the lecture say that it is Christianity is so weird. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, because that, that was a fun experience going off to a secular grad school and being a, a, a solid evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. I got this wonderful opportunity to compare my traditional Christian beliefs with the beliefs of the other great world religious traditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you, if you really force me to boil it all down to like a one or two word answer as to my conclusions about the comparative enterprise, it's this. Christianity is weird. <laughs> really strange. Uh, and I say that in, in this way, that there, if there's a category called religion, like some box, you know, there's religion, and you try to put Christianity into that box, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could push on it all day and, you know, hammer it with a sledgehammer. You try to get it in the box. It won't go in the box because it really uh, turns out not to be much of a religion after all. Mm-hmm. If, there's, if there's a category called religion, I just don't think Christianity fits it very well. It's, it's really odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, most people, when they hear about Christianity or any kind of religion, they think religion is a particular kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so they have a lot of stereotypes immediately about Christianity, mm-hmm. that it's just like all the others. Well, it's not. It's really dramatically different. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the kind of thing I like to highlight. And that, I think, is one of the biggest apologetic challenges we face today, is just this this uh, this common errant knowledge that people walk around with, thinking that Christianity is a religion and religions are all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's time to dispel that notion, show why Christianity is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the ways that uh, you have found most effective to dispel that notion? Yeah, you know, as I was uh, just comparing Christianity to some of the other great truths, there's, there's one thing that really captured my imagination. Now, you have to remember, I was coming into religious studies uh, from a science background, and so I'm really big on, you know, if you make a claim, you, you've got to, like, go out in the field and observe and see if it really works out, or go into a lab and do some experimentation and find out if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. You know? In other words, you've got to test your theories. And what I discovered about Christianity, that the thing that really captured my imagination was that Christianity is set apart in rather dramatic fashion from the other great world religious traditions in that it can be tested. It's a testable religion. It's kind of like you can drag it right into a scientific environment, ask all the hard questions about the claims Christianity is making, and test them to see if they're real. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a dramatic difference, I think. Mm-hmm. I know one of your specialties you said was um, Mormonism. Yeah, uh, I did, uh, and I took a, a, a world religions liberty, and that's what I did my um, final paper on. Um, and I was really struck by Mormonism because uh, I was reading in one of the books um, that we had to read, and the experience of this whole fire burning like uh, inward fire or feeling 
or this yeah. uh, seeing visions um, kind of reaffirm their belief. And it, it kind of made me think about when people say, well, I know Christianity is real because I can feel feel Jesus or feel God or if it's more mm-hmm. of a charismatic expression. And it made me just think of like how much things need to be proven because, you know, if you if you base your belief on Christ based on a feeling and you go and try to talk, engage a Mormon, you may have a little bit of trouble when they say, well, I feel something, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> how do you uh, kind of navigate through that? Because I know you've interacted with uh, Mormons on several different levels from kind of the higher ups in Mormonism and just regular practitioners. Yeah, well, that reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, the, the idea of testability in Christianity. Um, you know, if I, if I say that to a secular person, they just go, well, well, aren't all religions testable? Mm-hmm. And I go, well, no, they're not at all, really. In fact, it's interesting, some are up, up front not testable. In fact, they, they think testability is kind of a ridiculous idea, like, like Zen Buddhism, for instance. Mm-hmm. Zen Buddhism... Uh, you know, the, the Zen Buddhist doesn't really care about, you know, some sort of objective uh, external uh, uh, testing of Zen Buddhism. What, what's important to a Zen Buddhist is what's going on inside the Zen Buddhist. Does he or she uh, believe through uh, various disciplines and meditation that he or she is moving closer to enlightenment in some, you know, fathomable way? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of throw it out the door immediately. They think we're kind of crazy for being so interested in testability. Mm-hmm. But there's some religions sound like they're testable, but when you poke and prod them a little bit, turns out they're really not. Mm-hmm. And this is the example you're bringing up in Mormonism. Um, but Mormonism sounds like it's testable up front. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because they talk about all these little historical episodes like, you know, ancient gold plates upon which are etched reformed Egyptian characters, and what's translated by the gift and power of God by the prophet Joseph Smith, he produces the Book of Mormon, which tells the story of the ancient peoples of the Western Hemisphere. And, and by the time you hear the whole story, you go, wow, this is a historian's delight. There's so many things we can dig into and research and find out if it's reasonable to believe these or not. Mm-hmm. And so... I imagine many of your listeners have had the experience where the Mormon missionaries come to the door, and maybe some of them know a lot about Mormonism, so they ask a few hard questions of the missionaries. Mm-hmm. And what inevitably happens when, when uh, true testing takes place is this. And I've seen this happen with missionaries at my door, local bishops in a ward, stake presidents, uh, faculty members at uh, Brigham Young University, and even apostles in their own church had experiences with all of them doing this. When you ask them some hard questions and they don't really know where to go with it, they take a step back and, and start to talk about an inner experience that they've had. In other words, you know, you bring up some great points there, Craig, but uh, I'm not sure what to do with all that. But, but I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that I've had a feeling about this, that it's true inside. You know, the traditional burning of the bosom. You know. mm-hmm. And and so you it sounded like it was testable. Mm-hmm. It sounded like it was his, something a historian could really sink his or her teeth into, but not so. It really had to do with what's going on inside the Mormon. Mm-hmm. And so that sounded like it was testable, but then it really wasn't once you started to actually ask the hard testing questions. Mm-hmm. 
do you think that for our uh, millennials today in this postmodern society, um, I know there's this emphasis on a new kind of spirituality. I call it a buffet spirituality where you take a little bit of uh, Buddhism, take a little, little bit of Hinduism, take yeah. a little bit of Islam kind of and putting it all on your plate and kind of peeling what you want. So mm-hmm. this idea of things being testable is not necessarily something that people necessarily desire in in faith they kind of just want to control their faith by counting their own god in a sense do you think yeah well that's that's such a good point because at the end of the day some of these religions especially these what we used to call new age religion mostly kind of a picking and choosing of elements of eastern religious traditions and occasionally a western religion if it uh you know suited their and they passed them on they have a religion that 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 really works for them Mm-hmm. So what, and 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 it's really about working for them, you know. It, it, does it kind of matter? Do they really want to have? Mm-hmm. And does it make them feel better day by day? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And that's, I suppose that's fine. And I got to tell you, that's probably what most Christians are doing mm-hmm. when when they say they have faith in in Jesus. That they 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 decide to leap blindly into Christianity, and good for them. It probably helps them out. <laughs> but but then you think about it for a minute. And you go, wait a second, is, is this true or not? Mm-hmm. And is there any way I can know that it's true or not? Mm-hmm. Those are the big questions. And suddenly, if you're asking those questions, then you're off into objective investigation. Figure out what's real. Mm-hmm. If Christians claim to worship the Creator, is there any good evidence to believe that they're really doing that? Mm-hmm. Is there any good evidence to believe that uh, uh, Buddha got it right in the Four Noble Truths in the Eightfold Path and so on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any way to test out to find out if it's uh, Buddhism is really the way to go or not? Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by standing apart, because every religion I've looked at really doesn't have much going in terms of testability, but Christianity is it's right at the center, mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. When you um, engage, because I, I, you know, how we were talking about the, how you were just talking about kind of knowing what is truth, it seems like people don't necessarily want to know the truth. They want to know their truth. Um, yeah. How has that affected, you know, how you um, re- deal with this whole idea of, well, you know, when people go off to college, they meet people of different faiths. So, like, I was in, kind of in a Bible uh, bubble uh, with my father being a pastor and you know kind of always around Christians always around church but then when you go off to college you meet this a good Muslim or you meet a good good Hindu a good Buddhist and you're thinking well certainly God wouldn't allow them they're not wrong because they've been raised in this or you know or they're nicer than some of the people I went to church with um, mm. <laughs> you know so if yeah. they have to you know they have a firm belief, so kind of this whole pluralistic idea that all the us, all the religions can kind of coexist, and we're all on a way to God, and He just has different ways. And as long as you're faithful to that way, you're okay. Yeah, that's that's a serious problem. Uh, I've seen you know well-meaning you know Christians who've grown up in conservative churches and who really. They do believe all that stuff in the Bible. They go off to secular universities, and they start to meet people from different countries who have different worldviews and certainly different faiths. 
And because these people are, are decent and wonderful, you know, it puts people in a bit of a crisis. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen as much if Christians are really trained before they go off to college in, number one, understanding what Christianity really is. Mm-hmm. And number two, understanding uh, how the Christian worldview compares to the, the worldviews of other faith traditions and other cultures. Mm-hmm. Then, if a Christian has some of that mastered, and that's what we do in apologetics, we help Christians to understand the Christian faith and how it compares to other views of the world. Mm-hmm. And we teach them to engage people in a very winsome and attractive uh, fashion mm-hmm. as ambassadors of Jesus. So it's not a big, you know, brawl over ideas, but it's a, it's a fun dialogue that everybody finds interesting. And whenever I find myself in a position like that, I'm actually discussing things with a person with a radically different worldview, um, I attempt to get the conversation, uh, and it's not that hard to do, try to get the conversation right to the person of Jesus and especially his resurrection, because there's something very special about that. Mm -hmm. In my view, the resurrection of Jesus and the case that can be made for it is... uh, it, it it cuts through the spiritual fog like nothing else. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking with a Buddhist or a Muslim or something, and in the middle of the conversation I go, you know what, you know what's strange? I think Jesus actually came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And they go, whoa, what do you mean? You mean you believe that he came back from the dead? No, 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 I think he really did come back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And that changes everything. And it really does change everything. Mm-hmm. It changes everything even in the conversation. So like, going, oh, wait a minute. You know, I thought, uh, you know, I don't believe that, and I think it's just your belief. I go, no, no, I can actually make a case for it. I think the historical case can be made that Jesus was alive at point A, dead at point B, and alive again at point C. I think that's the decided result of the historical record. Mm -hmm. And you can actually investigate it and find out that that really happened. Mm -hmm. And it blows people's minds, and it really does. Suddenly, everybody's focused on that question, Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, what about the Buddhist experience or the Muslim experience? So suddenly, hey, look, if this guy really conquered death, i got to know something about that. Mm-hmm. And it refocuses everything. But that all has to do with the testability of Christianity. Mm-hmm. You see, I'm making a claim that Jesus really did come back from the dead. And rather than just saying that's what my religion teaches, I'm saying, and I can know it to be true. Mm-hmm. That makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great point because in this kind of society of tolerance, People are okay saying, well, you believe that. But if you say, no, this actually happened, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different Yes, yeah, you know the vocabulary. That's, yeah. uh, that's what we try to teach our students, you know, to make, just change their vocabulary a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when we say the word, well, I believe, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a good philosopher, I would know what to mean, what a person should mean when they say believe something. But to the general person, when they hear belief, they think blind faith. Mm-hmm. In fact, we use the word faith. You know, I have faith in God. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that might have much deeper meaning to us, but to the secular person, it thinks, oh, well, good for them. They're willing to believe in all kinds of weird stuff to get by. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, fairies and leprechauns and angels and all <laughs> kinds of strange stuff. Good for them. More power to you if you need that stuff. Just don't take it too seriously and cause me trouble. You know? mm-hmm. uh, that's, so that's, that's the predicament we find ourselves in. Or people don't take religion seriously mm-hmm. as some sort of real-world exploration. But Christianity demands to be taken seriously as a 
a real world explanation. Mm-hmm. I think that's so so true because um, I have a friend. She she was on the podcast a couple uh, a few podcasts ago, um, and she's an OBGYN in Orlando. And she was telling me that it's really difficult for her in the medical field because when she tells people that she's a Christian, all her colleagues kind of laugh and like, why do you believe in fairy tales? <laughs> uh, because the focus in medicine is kind of things that are proven in a sense. So, you know, changing the vocabulary from belief to I know kind of would, yeah. would really shake up the conversation, I bet, in her um in her conversations with her colleagues. Hey, can I give your listeners a little tip here? Yeah. Because I think they'll love this. And, and folks, I'm not going to charge you for this. This is tuition-free. <laughs> but I think you're really going to love this. Because it, I've been in so many circumstances, like you just described, where uh, somebody in a work environment or some sort of public arena, you know, goes, hey, I hear you're a Christian. I mean, uh, why, would you, why would you believe that fairy tale? Now, uh, most Christians, if they, if they hear something like that, they get kind of... Uh, withdrawn and defensive, like, oh, man, I wish I'd studied some of that apologetic stuff because maybe I could answer this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like hers already, if somebody comes at you like that, take a deep breath and simply return the question to the person. That is, interesting, what an interesting question. I'm curious, what do you think Christianity is? Mm-hmm. It's, it's brilliant. It just, it's such a way to, number one, it, it does a couple of things. It, it like... Uh, helps affirm the person who just asked you that troubling question. You know, like, mm-hmm. hey, this person respects you enough to where they're going to ask my opinion on something important. Mm-hmm. And then number two, it actually gives you a chance to find out where they're really coming from and therefore gather intelligence, you know, mm-hmm. with regard to your next statement. Mm-hmm. And then you really get to find out where they're coming from. And so uh, it's just a great way to take the fear out of a apologetics or evangelistic conversation. I call it the apologetics golden rule. Ask of them as they ask of you. Mm-hmm. Just turn it around on them and ask them what they think about that particular question. And generally, you stand back and watch the craziness fly <laughs> because they have nothing coherent at all to say. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they say the goofiest things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an uncle who was a physicist, real smart guy. What well, wasn't a Christian. He discovered I had become a Christian, was a little bit troubled by this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's asking me some hard questions, and he's like, so... So, Craig, you, uh, you don't really believe the Bible, do you? And here it was. I was only, like, you know, 19 at the time or something. And, and uh, here's my uncle, the physicist, asking me this question about the Bible. And I just took a deep breath, and I returned it to him. I said, well, thanks for, thanks for asking that. You know, I'm curious, before I give an answer of any kind, what, Uncle Rob, the physicist, what do you think about the Bible? Mm-hmm. Well, then he launches off into this, you know, this strange narrative about how the Bible was really the result of uh, the drunken writings of monks in the 1500s. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you have delivered him into my hands. <laughs> and then, we just, and then he sounded really kind of idiotic uh, in front of the rest of the people at Thanksgiving dinner, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people were then turning to me and asking their questions, you know, because clearly uh, the smartest guy at the table, the physicist, knew nothing about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it all resulted from me just returning the question to him. So remember, everybody, ask of them as they ask of you. Mm-hmm. Very helpful apologetic technique. And, and that's so true because I think, you know, when we deal with people who are PhDs in particular fields, 
the because they're a PhD in a particular field, the assumption is that they know about every field. But when you know how academics works, people get PhDs and, and their focus can be very, very, very narrow and they can know nothing about anything else but just that topic that they got a PhD in. So that PhD kind of intimidates you uh, because, you know, I think that's how it works with a lot of times students. If they're talking to a, a, a professor that may teach physics or economics, they and they try to, you know, downplay Christianity assumption is, well, they must know because they're a PhD. And it's like, well, no, they, they might know their field, but they they might not have a clue about Christianity at all, just like you articulate it with your um yeah, that is such an important thing, Lisa. I'm so glad you brought that up because sometimes we are intimidated. Oh my goodness, this person has a has a doctorate in mathematics or in history or something. Uh, believe me, folks, it doesn't mean they know anything about Christianity <laughs> or or some some doctrinal issues or, or some uh, some cases for Christ that you might know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean automatically that they know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's especially in the sciences; it can be so narrow. Mm-hmm. I told you that uh, I did some scientific research for a period of time. I kind of ran a lab where they did some research. Mm-hmm. And after lunch, the, uh, the professors who really ran the lab, they'd always come in, and they'd, and they'd, be, uh, they'd sit down, and they'd start talking about things. That, that they, they'd started conversations at lunch, and they were kind of carrying over now into the lab. And, and I would sit there as a, uh, as a young student just listening to their conversation. And I know these guys really knew something about this very narrow area of comparative animal physiology that they worked in. Mm-hmm. That, that, they knew something about that. But when they were pontificating on uh, religion and philosophy, I actually knew something about those subjects. And I was snickering in the corner most of the time mm-hmm. because they didn't know what they were talking about. And it was at that point I go, you know what, just because a person has deep training in one narrow area of science does not mean they're an expert mm-hmm. on, the, you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus or the historical reliability of the New Testament or anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's really half the battle for a lot of students. Um, I know, you know, as you, I'm re- thinking about my time in undergrad, you know, your professors, they kind of go on tangents about things that they might not know about as far as faith is concerned. And they're teaching something like chemistry or biology or you know, something um, history related or, you know, social science. And the assumption is you're, the, the student is naturally intimidated because of the the number of years they spent in education. Uh, but, you know, just knowing, hey, they have experience in this field, but maybe not. You might have way more experience in, 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 in Christianity than they do. So that's that's half the battle for a lot of for a lot of students. Yeah, and, and it, they rarely admit it. People with uh, graduate degrees, especially in the sciences, that uh, that they really know very little about uh, other subjects. You know, they, they've been so focused on their very narrow area of scientific research and study that uh, honestly, they don't know much about these other topics, and they're r- rarely uh, willing to admit that. I think that's one reason why uh, me and my colleagues we do so well in formal academic debate. Mm-hmm. Because usually it'll be uh, against a, an unbelieving philosopher or scientist. They'll come in and think, you know what, I got this. Mm-hmm. Because this guy, this Christian guy, is only going to be talking about 
spiritual things and fantasies and leprechauns and angels and all that kind of stuff. And they don't do any preparation because then who needs to prepare against that stuff? I just need to trot out, you know, the good scientific mindset. And they're and they really don't do very well in the debate because they're just not prepped for a very thoughtful Christian who thinks there really is a case to be made that God exists, mm-hmm. that Jesus was his unique son, and that he conquered death on the third day, as the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. They're just not prepared for an actual case, and there's a tremendous Katie made. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. For our listeners who, um, what would you leave with our listeners who want to learn more about kind of this whole idea of comparing the different Christianity and um, the different religions? Yeah, uh, I can recommend a couple of books that uh, are helpful. One book uh, I wrote as a novel, Mm -hmm. I wrote a book called Five Sacred Crossings, Five Sacred Crossings, and it's a novel. It's a a short, fast-paced mystery story, Uh, and I... I put in all kinds of things in that story that, that show how Christianity is unique compared to the other great world religious traditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've written some other books in my lifetime, but this one, it just doesn't slow down. People love it, and, and it showed me the value of taking some great Christian ideas and plunking them down in the middle of a, of a fascinating mystery story, you know, because people just get caught up in it, and they read through it, and they actually end up learning a good deal. Mm-hmm. In this case, in this case, about apologetics mm-hmm. and how Christianity is a standout. So that's the first book I'd recommend called Five Sacred Crossings. Uh, another book, I know a lot of people listening probably have never studied these things. Um, and there was a book I was involved in years ago called uh, World Religions and Cults 101. World Religion and Cults 101 by Stan Jantz and Bruce Bickle. Mm-hmm. Again, I was, I was like the academic advisor, but it's a wonderful first step into understanding world religions and a bit of a Christian critique that accompanies each chapter on a, on a world religion. So if you don't know anything about Buddhism, or Islam has always been uh, interesting to you, but you've never learned anything about it, it's a great first step. Mm-hmm. World Religions and Cults 101, Bruce Bickle and Stan Jantz. Mm-hmm. Thank you, that's helpful. What would, you, what would be your last word? Um, you would like to leave with our listeners. And also, if you could, because I know this is a hot-button topic right now, um, Islam, um, how, what best practices would you give to our listeners to engage with those who may um, be a Muslim? Yeah, well, two things. The, the, let me just kind of wrap up this whole idea of Christianity being unique. I, I really only highlighted one point about that, and that was that Christianity is testable. Mm-hmm. And But that's good enough. That's the one that captured my imagination the most. And, uh, and it really is helpful in that uh, you can say that Christianity is a standout because it's testable, and then you can actually uh, use the testability to demonstrate the truth of Christianity. But, but let me highlight one Bible verse that... that uh, that illustrates this. Uh, it really shows the strange nature of Christianity. In fact, I call this particular passage from the New Testament one of the strangest passages in all of religious literature. Mm-hmm. You don't find something like this in the Bhagavad Gita, or the Buddhist Tripitaka, or the Quran, or the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 12. The Apostle Paul is giving a bit of a discourse on the resurrection, and he says, he says twice in this passage, 
that if Jesus did not come back from the dead, your faith is empty. Mm-hmm. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, your faith is worthless. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Just try to find another religion on the planet today, including Islam, or any religion through human history that makes that kind of statement. Mm-hmm. If this historical claim didn't really happen, mm-hmm. as Jesus coming back from the dead, our faith is bunk. You ought to go do something else. Mm-hmm. That is radical. Mm-hmm. You just don't find things like that in other great world religious traditions. I agree. And, and with regard to dealing with Islam, um, I usually, because, because Muslims do uh, honor Jesus as, as, as another prophet, uh, they, they will listen to him, but they're a bit skeptical of the, of the New Testament. If I get a chance to converse with a Muslim, I try to get the talk on Jesus, and then I try to move it to the direction as quickly as possible. Because that is something that intrigues Muslims, too. Uh, and uh, number one, the person of Jesus, and number two, that he may very well have come back from the dead, and that, the, that there's historical evidence that's compelling that can uh, actually demonstrate that. Uh, they know from Islam that they really don't have much in terms of historical uh, knowledge. It's really about some raw, blind faith move to accept the Quran as the word of Allah. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, that's the main goal there. And, and to think that there's some sort of objective investigation that a person could uh, engage in, to really know that their religion is true, uh, I found that to be intriguing to thoughtful Muslims. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very helpful. Well, thank you, Dr. Hazen. I appreciate your time. And I think our listeners will be uh, richly blessed by this. And I encourage you um, to get the resources that he recommended, because I think they will be a great blessing and a help to you. Yeah, one other great resource, of course, is the Master of Arts program at, uh, uh, in Christian Apologetics at Biola University. So you can check, check our website. Uh, just go to uh, biola.edu. That's B-I-O-L-A dot E-D-U. And look for the apologetics program if you want to do a master's degree or a certificate program in Christian apologetics. Yeah, I, thought, I, I was just um, listening to uh, one of your lectures where you're talking about that uh, program. And I think that how is that the certificate program? Can that be done as like online? Yes, yes. The whole thing can be done at a distance. Okay. Uh, both the Master of Art program and the Certificate program. Okay. And it's, it's wildly popular, and it is, uh, it's a wonderful program. It's, it's a growing field. So mm-hmm. if people want to be on the cutting edge of, uh, of a new uh, um, Christian thought movement, I suggest the Apologetics program at Biola. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hazen. Oh, my great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Lisa. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it